Seinfeld, the wallet is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who never leave their wallet in the waiting room. I'm Rob Sestrini. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Rob? I'm doing very good. We also never answer the door when it's Federal Express. Uh, no, I know that. Uh, Oldest trick in the book. It's probably a murder. But if not, it's at least a robber. Yeah. All right, Akiva. So we've been talking about so many two-part episodes of Seinfeld over the last couple of weeks that there was the season premiere, which is a two-part episode. And then we did last week's episode as a one-hour episode. We have another two-part episode, but this time we're handling it in two separate pieces of the wallet and the watch. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think we had so many two-parters. You know, there's a, th- these episodes are very rich. There's a lot going on in them in terms of the storyline. And frankly, like the two-parters, because... You know, in an episode like Seinfeld, where we're basically going word for word with the episode, you know, it becomes a lot to really do two in a row. So I think this is a good decision. Okay, good. And this is a to be continued. Did they air this on separate nights? Yes, this was uh, September 23rd, 1992. And then the next uh, episode was September 30th. Okay, I think that's our move where if it airs the same night, we should talk about it all in one chunk. And if it is on separate nights, we should talk about it separately. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think uh, this is the last that's separate, but there's really only a few before the finale, a few more two-parters. Okay. Of course, uh, this aired on September 23rd, 1992, and is considered to be the 45th episode of Seinfeld. You know what that means, Rob? What's that? We are one quarter of the way done. Oh! Yeah, 180 divided by uh, 45. I feel like we just do what we did three more times and we're out of here. Wow. Go out on top. I don't know if we'll go out on top, but, you know, we'll... Uh, Hopefully we'll go out at 180. Well, Akiva, I have to say that I've been very jealous this week because I've had to listen to you on several other post-show recaps, and I am reminded how lucky I am that I get to talk to you every week on this podcast. I heard you on the 10-year anniversary of The Office uh, with Mike Bloom and Jessica Lee on post-show recaps, and I thought you did a fantastic job there. And most recently... You uh, recapped the Justin Bieber roast uh, with Mike Bloom on post show recaps. Yeah, it's a it's a really a hard U turn to go from the Bieber roast to uh, you know a season four episode of Seinfeld. Yes, and I think what I have discovered about you, Akiva, I think that you are the most prolific researcher in all of post show recaps. Uh, yeah, that's very nice of you to say. I do think you know my my title at NBC, at NBC was researcher, even though I was really a stats guy who, you know, sometimes got to write, uh, you know, the script down. But, uh, I, I, you know, that was my title for, for, you know, for four seasons of football plus the, plus the Olympics. I was a researcher. So, you know, I'm used to getting there and grinding for like 10 hours before anything happens. So, yeah, I did watch um, a bunch of episodes before The Office. But also, that's not even really a good thing. Like, probably the people I did it with remembered the episodes better than I did because I never watched The Office in syndication. Yes. So I kind of had to like refresh my memory and watch some episodes with the roasts. I had them on in the background, like, uh, you know, all week. And I, I was able to watch like eight or nine of the last, you know, the last eight or nine roasts. OK, we well, can check those out on post show recaps. And I think what's interesting about you, Akiva, is that you're such a contradiction in that there are some topics which you are so well versed, you know, everything about some things. But then there are other things which Almost everybody else seemingly knows at least a little bit about which you know nothing about. Uh, yes, but many people have said that to me. I feel like, I, you know, one of those things would probably be like interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But I think, I, you know, my wife would argue that. I think, uh, yeah, I'm every, you know, with sports, I'm in everything. With, you know, fixing things around the house, I'm in nothing. It's, it's, it's actually a very astute observation. Movies? The truth is, I, right, with movies, I'll watch the new movies that come out but I've never seen anything before like 1995. Okay. <laughs> All right. So interesting. Uh, interesting guy, Akiva. Yeah, I think that was actually, you really, you actually summed me up in a nutshell. It's I'm all or nothing. I'm not yes. like. You're an all in kind of guy. Uh, that's right. I'm you don't tilt. half ass anything. That's right. Uh, you're all ass or no ass. Uh, that's right. All right. So Akiva, before we get into talking about the wallet, is there any Seinfeld news from the week gone by? Uh, yes. Um, in direct Seinfeld news, uh, we discussed Larry David's uh, Broadway play, Fish in the Dark. 
Yes. So Larry was always only going to be in it for a few months and he was going to uh, hang up his, uh, you know, his acting uh, part of the fish in the dark in June. Sure. Hang up the fish. Yes. And he was, you know, he, he was, you know, he's still, I'm sure he'll still be there because he's the, uh, you know, he, I'm sure he's the executive producer and everything. Yeah, but I think he wrote you know, it, right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot to be in a Broadway play, especially he's not a young man. So he's stopping in June and he found a replacement. Yes. I read about this. Uh, yes. And it's a very interesting replacement. He is, uh, he is being uh, Wally pipped by uh, Jason Alexander himself. Well, I wouldn't say he's being Wally pipped. I mean, I think it's more of that he is stepping down. He's being more like D.D. Gregorius, where he's leaving the show and somebody else is coming in. I don't know if the baton handoff between uh, Derek Jeter and D.D. Gregorius is as close as the Jason Alexander and Larry David. Yeah, I like that reference. I, yeah, it's fair, but I do think that, like, I actually would want to go see it more now that, that Jason Alexander's in it. Yeah, and good for Jason Alexander. Yeah, it's good that he's doing something. Yes, and so it'll be interesting to see. I, I think I would want to see it again had I seen it with Larry David to see how Jason Alexander plays it. Yeah, 100%, right? You're not going to go see a play like that unless you're absolutely obsessed with it twice, but I would, if I saw it again, you're right. I think, uh, you know, Chester saw it and he sent us a review, so maybe we'll send him back uh, to see the Jason Alexander uh, edition and we'll get a report back. Yeah, and I'm not a big Broadway show guy. Most of these Broadway shows, like, you couldn't pay me to go see, but I would definitely want to go see this. Yeah, I'm uh, in the all or nothing scale. I'm nothing with Broadway shows. Yeah, I saw Guys and Dolls, I think, once, but I was dragged there by and Mamma Mia, like, but I was dragged there by like grandparents or something. Like, I like the idea of a play more than a musical. A play I could get into. I also saw uh, the Big Lebowski uh, in Shakespeare talk. Mm, yeah, how was that? It was funnier, uh, like saying I was going to Big Lebowski Shakespeare than actually sitting through it for like two and a half hours. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Anything else in Seinfeld news? Uh, well, one, this is uh, only uh, loosely related to Seinfeld, but it's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. So uh, I'll read I'll read you the uh, story from the Huffington Post here. Uh, Phyllis Jefferson's temper may be as hot as her salsa. Oh, police in Akron, Ohio, said Jefferson, 50 years old allegedly stabbed her boyfriend in the groin with a pen Sunday evening after he ate all the salsa in their house. Cleveland.com mm. reports. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't carry a pen on them because they're afraid of puncturing their scrotum to begin with. That's right. But I guess, uh, you know, for, for Phyllis, maybe that's not as much of a concern. Right. But uh, poor, poor Ronnie D. Buckner. <laughs> yes. uh, that I, Buckner was hoping that the pen just went through his legs, but unfortunately yeah. it, it caught him. Uh, that is correct. But I, I think... Uh, nobody has ever, and I'm making a, a guarantee here, Rob, no one has ever been stabbed over seltzer. No, <laughs> no, you would never stab over seltzer. After you stab, then you want to get out the stain with seltzer. That's right. Or you want to like calm down with a cool, refreshing bottle of like a crystal water seltzer. Yeah. Maybe they'll come on board as a sponsor. Maybe. All right. <laughs> so let's go ahead and let's get into talking about the wallet, which, of course, is part of the overall season four arc, which we've been talking about here for the last couple of weeks on the podcast. And we start off with Jerry's stand up talking about driving in the car with his parents and uh, his parents would always fight about two things. One, how fast his dad was going and how much gas was in the tank. And Jerry's dad would always say to his mom that it was the angle she was looking at it from. I think there is some truth to this, right? And it still holds up today. Like if you're looking from the passenger seat, everything looks like a skew. Mm. Yeah, but I feel like, and again, this is sort of like we're getting into like the JFK film, but I feel like if you're in the passenger seat, I feel like it would look like you were going slower than you actually are. Right, that's right. I was thinking that too. Yeah. So I don't know. Nowadays, again, that you have these dashboards where, you know, it says in numbers how fast you're going, how many miles you have of gas left. So now uh, this joke, you could just throw it out. What are you driving like a Maserati, Rob? <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, um, no, I think that I mean, that's pretty common to have the LED, uh, how many miles per hour you're going, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to for a long time. I had um, I had like a, a super old like Mercury Grand Marquis. That was my grandma's. Sure. So like that doesn't have the um, the number. Although it was it used like in really really old cars. I think they did have a number. Mm. Like it just said a number. So I and then I think it went back to you know the you know the uh, 
the the whole symbol thing, and now it's back to numbers. Okay, <laughs> with uh, my friend's DeLorean that had a uh, LED. Uh, how fast you're going? Oh, really? Yes, and that was important to tell how just just how fast you're going. You didn't want to have like a a dial on that. You wanted to have the numbers. Uh, how fast did the DeLorean have to go? Eighty eight miles an hour. I I'm I've actually seen uh, all three of those films. Oh, okay, <laughs> good. That's an all, not a nothing. <laughs> okay, so. Then we go to Jerry in the car picking up his parents. Big arc for Morty and Helen. Uh, may, not since the pen have uh, Morty and Helen been featured so prominently. And they dominate this episode. Uh, yes, this is. I, I feel like when the Seinfeld parents are in the episode, it's usually about them. Yes. Because they've got to come up from Florida or someone's coming down to Florida. Yes. Once they're using them, they're all over the place. Okay. So Jerry is picking up his parents from the airport and he's telling them about the deal with NBC and Helen Seinfeld. She mentions about George as Jerry's partner. And since when is he as a writer? Uh, yeah, which is, I think, a fair question that everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's been asking about. Yeah. And they just keep giving that pat answer. It's a sitcom. You know, you don't need to really write. Yeah, which is probably just a very inside baseball writer's room thing they keep doing. Yeah. And so... Jerry says the problem is uh, that George isn't happy with the $13,000. And Jerry's mom says uh, that he doesn't even have a job. He should take the deal. Yeah, she's speaking like a true mom. Yes. And Morty Seinfeld disagrees. He says George is right to be upset. They're all crooks and they shouldn't take the deal. Now, what we know about Morty Seinfeld, at least from the pen and from uh, some previous outings, Morty Seinfeld is very cheap. So. Yes. Should very cheap Morty Seinfeld also say, hey, 13000 you got to take that? Or do you think does the cheap person say, no, you got to hold out for more money? Yeah, I've been thinking about uh, Morty Seinfeld's relationship with money a lot. I think that it's much more complicated than George, who's just straight out cheap. I think, and, and again, George here also isn't happy with the thirteen k, but ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, George is cheap. Morty Morty offers to pay for all these things. George would never do that. Yeah. So I, th you know, I think, I, you know, it, the thing, Morty is much more aggressive. He, he, listen, he was in the raincoat business for 35 years. He knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. All right. So Helen says, sign it. And Jerry ends up telling them that George is out with the woman now. And they, I guess they stop at a gas station and Morty is trying to pay for the gas and him and Jerry get into a big argument. So I guess it is complicated that Morty isn't quite cheap. There's certain things he wants to pay for. He's insulted if he doesn't get to pay for. But like if uh, if Bob Klompis wants to, uh, you know, get something for free, he doesn't want to pay for him. I also think like knowing people who are cheap and then I know people who are obsessed with money. And I think Morty's kind of just like his religion is money. Like he's always thinking about money one way or the other. I don't know if you know people like that, but, you know, he's I'm, I'm not like a very money centric person. But I think I, th I think Morty is, you know, it, it, whether something's cheap or expensive, you know, he's always talking about, oh, this is such a great deal. I got this for 850 at the store. I got these pants. Yeah. You know, he, so he, that's just what he's sort of all about. Okay. So we go to George with Susan. And the first thing we hear George say in the episode to Susan, I think we're going to have to pass. Yeah, I think, uh, and it's, I like that Jerry's even giving George, like if I was Jerry, I wouldn't even let George and Susan be in the same room mm -hmm. until they've signed this deal. Yeah. This is like the business equivalent of the preemptive breakup that we saw in last season where it's like, I am breaking up with you. <laughs> and so Susan's like, wait, you're passing? Right. I, I mean, I'm sure nobody does that. I mean, this is the pinnacle of somebody's career and they're just saying no. Yes. Uh, he says that the 13000 I'm afraid it's, it's much too low. And Susan says, well, it's actually a very standard deal. You guys haven't done anything before. Uh, yeah, which is a theme. Like they have uh, no experience and they don't even have a plot to their show. Yes. Well, George rebuttals that, well, is Ted Danson's deal standard? Yeah, you're no Ted Danson. I, I do love, and you really see it start with this episode, Rob, that everything for the rest of the season is just callbacks to previous episodes. Mm. We like that, especially that we're going in order. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. If we were bouncing around, it would be confusing. Yeah. Okay, so Susan hands George the box of Cuban cigars. Okay, from Susan's dad. Yeah, which I guess is our first indication that Susan's dad maybe is rich. It was like a fancy guy thing. Right. And George says, wait, so I have to write a note? And she says, well, you're a writer. It should be easy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm a writer. Yeah. Are, are you really anti-writing thank you notes or are you good with thank you notes? 
I am good with the idea of it. It's just the actual procrastinating of doing it is my problem. Yeah, I never remember thank you notes. Like I still owe people thank you notes from, you know, my wedding, which was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. In, in college, I got some kind of uh, academic scholarship. Not for doing anything right. I think I just knew the right people. And <laughs> the lady in the admissions office, not admissions, I guess in alumni affairs, wanted me to write a thank you card to the people you know, who sponsored this scholarship. I think it was $10,000 off per year, probably not, per, maybe per semester. I don't remember. And she kept emailing me and emailing me and I forgot. Anyway, they, and they also gave you like a business card that said, you know, Akiva Wieneker, uh, you know, the Rob Sesternino and Nicole Sesternino, whatever, you know, uh, foundation, uh, you know, award winner or whatever it was, you know, fellowship. The human fund. Yeah, the human fund, exactly. Uh, and I, anyway, I, ne- I never thought of it again. Another friend who had the same um, academic, whatever, uh, you know, scholarship, a few years after college, I was at a wedding with him and he pulls out of his pocket a business card and he had his business card and he wrote a letter of recommendation. And uh, he was not the Rob and Nicole Sesternino Foundation Award winner. Uh, his uh, $10,000 came from Bernard and Ruth Madoff. Yes. Okay. Wow. And uh, any money thrown in by Fred Wilpon? Uh, no, but so not only did my uh, favorite team lose, you know, most of their money with the Madoffs, my college lost all of its money with the Madoffs. Yes. Oh, wow. So your, your college lost all the money? Well, I mean, he get, that money was actually gotten because, you know, they're not going to like hit, call six years later and like, remember that scholarship we gave you? We never really got it, but... He was, I guess, a donor of the college, but they also invested almost all of their money with him. So they lost, I think, $300 million. Yikes. I mean, they had, I think, a billion, but, uh, you know, so they could, like, it's still alive, the college, but uh, they lost a lot of their money. I mean, that's like Ted Danson money. That, uh, 300 million is Ted Danson money. That's correct. <laughs> that's right. All right. We go back to Jerry in the car with his parents, and uh, Helen asks Jerry, how long were you waiting at the gate? And he's like, I don't know. And she says to him, well, don't you have that watch we gave you? So do you need a watch to know how long you were waiting? Yeah, they really uh, shoehorn this in. Does Jerry's car not have the time? Because I think every car has the time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the answer to how long were you waiting is either uh, a while or no, it wasn't too bad. Like, I don't think it's a specific like, hey, what time is it? You know, I don't know if I need a watch to answer that question. Plus, Jerry should be shutting down all time-related questions immediately. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why this one catches him off guard because it's not a watch-related question. Yeah. Plus, let's say his, he doesn't have the time in his car. Like, you turn on the radio, you know, 10, mm-hmm. 10 minutes, they give you the world. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, they want to know, where's the watch? Give us the watch. Uh, we'll pay for it. Give us the bill. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, it's a lot like the gum. Yes. Like, give me the um, I mean, the pen, excuse me. The, um, yeah, I think... So listen, he's generous. Like a real George would not ask, would not offer to, you know, fix his kid's watch. He would go out of his way not to be the guy who, you know, was pulling out his wallet. Yeah. And so this is the part where Morty is trying to pay at the gas pump and they want the bill for the watch. So we really established that, you know, Jerry's parents want to know where the watch is and they want to pay for it on top of that. So Morty and Helen come in with their suitcases and uh, this is, I don't know, this sounds a little crazy, but you tell me if, if this is um, what goes on. So Morty had to go to a back specialist. So he flies up to New York to go to the back specialist. It's crazy. That's crazy. Or, or it happens and it's crazy. I don't think it, if you have a very special form of cancer, then a lot of times the, you know, the, the only or best doctors will be in New York. Right. But if you have a back problem, Florida has like tens of thousands of doctors, plenty of doctors in Florida. Yeah. Should they have made this something else? Was there is there a reason specifically why it has to be a back problem for Morty Seinfeld? Well, in hindsight, they're always coming up with reasons. So like, you know, if they're using weddings, which they've already used, right, or funerals. Yeah. um, So, you know, they kind of have to come up with a new excuse. But listen, they could have used something something else, but it also it's part it's a big part of the plot because he's losing his wallet at the doctor. Yes. But could they have given him a different ailment that would have been like, I feel like, OK, heart doctor, that's sort of not funny because it's life threatening. Right. Um, the you know, the back problem seems serious, but not life threatening. So we can sort of, uh, you know, be in a mood to laugh that we're talking about a back problem, even though if you have a back problem, you probably don't think it's that funny. But I mean, it just seems like uh, that seems crazy to go sit on a coach flight for, you know, three, four hours if you have a back problem. Right. I agree. I mean, we know he didn't fly first class. I think 
Uh, well, what would be the funniest type of doctor? Like dermatologist? Podiatrist. MD? Oh, podiatrist. Yeah. It would be absurd for him to come up for a podiatrist. <laughs> yeah. What if there was the best podiatrist? He's the best, Jerry. I, I, I think there, and also like if he lived in Wichita, Kansas, no offense to all our uh, Wichita, Kansas fans, you know, it's one thing, but Florida has like the most doctors outside maybe New York and LA. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but we'll go with it. All right. So here comes Kramer and Morty Seinfeld loves Kramer. Even when it was the fake Morty Seinfeld, he still loved Kramer. That's right. I, I think he loves him so much. He should be in the audience giving him standing ovation with everybody else. Yes. Yes. And this is we're heading towards like the height of the Kramer mania on the entrances. Uh, he gets two ovations in this episode alone. <laughs> if he leaves and comes back, like if he's like, I'm going to the bathroom and I'm coming back, he's getting an ovation when he's coming back in again. Right. Do they shut it down by the end? I think I, I, I think uh, he was like it wasn't as big, but it never really shuts down. But Elaine gets, I believe, her only one in this episode. Yes. Yes. And so we'll get to that uh, in just a couple of moments. But I was reading the notes about nothing as I was watching the episode. They were saying like the actors didn't like it and would throw everything off and it ate up seconds of time. I mean, this wasn't when the show was on TBS and at like 12% faster than it normally was. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't notice even when the audience is laughing, you don't notice them. But when they really start, you know, this ovation and you hear some dumb guy in the front, like actually what he's yelling, that takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah. All right, so we'll go ahead and just keep an eye on like what is the ultimate height of the Kramer entrances. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be season four, but let's let's check up on that. Okay, we'll keep going. All right, so Kramer comes in. He's still dealing with symptoms after Crazy Joe Devola kicked him in the head. And, you know, Kramer reveals to Helen Seinfeld that Crazy Joe Devola is after Jerry. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, we know Kramer has zero common sense already, but why would you tell that to his mom? Yeah. I mean, still not as bad as when Jerry told Crazy Joe Davola that Kramer was having a party. He assumed they were friends. <laughs> why? He was Jerry's friend that would see the lane psychiatrist. Well, I don't know why he would have anything to do with Kramer. Yeah, I mean, it was a faux pas by Jerry, but uh, still, you can't you can't mention that in front of the Seinfelds. OK, so Crazy Joe Davola is out for Jerry. Morty Seinfeld says uh, he's going to make some calls. Who do you think he's going to call? I don't know. Uh, not Uncle Leo, right? No, Uncle Leo does not know a guy unless you need someone in the parks department. Yeah. Um, maybe is there somebody that's in the uh, raincoat industry? Uh, I'm sure he knew somebody. I mean, Bob Sacamano for sure knows somebody. Must know somebody. But who does Morty know? I don't know. I, I don't know who Morty knows, but uh, I, he's got a guy for everything. Yeah. And we start this sort of running joke of that. Helen says that, you know, how could anybody not like Jerry? It's impossible not to like him. Yeah, there, there are kind of like two kinds of moms, right? There's the mom that thinks that, and then there's kind of like the, oh, yeah, yeah, he doesn't like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's that second kind that he doesn't like you? <laughs> like, the, and, and maybe the mom doesn't like you. Your mom doesn't oh, like you. Oh, if your too. mom doesn't like you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your mom? Like, uh, I love my mom. Yes. So, <laughs> she, so she, is she saying that uh, if I told your mom that crazy Joe Davola is, is coming to get you next, is she saying like, what? How could... Why would anybody want to get a Kiva? Or she's like, eh, you know, he probably deserves it. A little bit. I, I, no, I mean, I'm, I'm giving her a bad rap here. I do think, did you ever get in trouble in school? Yes. Did your parents blame you or the teacher? Mm. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I think they blamed me. Mm -hmm. But I would get like a lot of parents. I, I recently was talking about this with my mom that uh, I had like numerous phone calls from the teacher calling my house. And, it, and in fact, when I was in high school, one of my teachers was like on the phone and called my parents. And then like the like another teacher was in the teacher's lounge and was like, oh, who are you, are you talking to? Are you talking to uh, Rob Sisternino's parents? Like, <laughs> oh, let me I, I want to get on there also. Yeah, look, that's and great. They, they hand it off like an impromptu handoff. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about him also. <laughs> then they put it on the loudspeaker. Does anybody else want to speak to uh, mom yeah. and sister? So Nina? numerous times my parents had to have uh, conversations with the teachers. Yeah. So no, I'm giving my parents a bad rap. They do. They know they had my back, but not with school stuff because my father's a teacher and my mom runs a school. So they would always assume the teacher's right. And Akiva, it wasn't like I was like a bad kid. Like I, mm -hmm. I wasn't like, you know, do, you know, uh, skipping classes or like, you know, uh, you know, doing drugs or skipping school or you were the class getting, clown. Right. Right. I was a, yeah. you know, uh, a disturbance in the classroom. Yeah. Same, same here. But once in a while I'd go over the line with like a comment and then they'd get called. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
that that's uh these teachers they don't like that stuff but it's funny when i was a teacher i certainly you know i started empathizing with the teachers yes why if there were there people that were uh disruptive yes in fact one time during parent teacher conferences which is uh, it's his own podcast parent teacher conferences are great i was speaking to pa- to parents of probably my most uh, my biggest troublemaker of all my students and I was just, I just wrote down a list of everything he had done and said in, uh, in, in the class and not even just in my class, like in, you know, in school that I had seen, like including the hallways and stuff. And I started reading it because like, I'm not going to get in an argument, but if I have facts, you know, then uh, they'll, they'll probably listen. And the dad just got up in the middle and walked away. Mm. And she's like, and the mom's, and not because he was mad at me. He didn't like start yelling like another, you know, other parents might. The mom said uh, he just can't even hear it. Like it's not even, you know, because he thinks his son's perfect. So like he won't even let the stuff like enter his mind. Really? Okay. That's part of the problem. Uh, Yeah. I'm sure he's doing great though. (laughs) Probably. All right. Uh, Let's get back to the episode. So uh, we start talking about the watch of, you know, uh, what happened to the watch and Kramer asks about it. And again, this is a typical Kramer putting his foot in his mouth saying the one thing you don't want him to say. And so uh, Jerry says it's, it's getting fixed. And Kramer wants to know, well, how come it's taking so long? Where is it? Uh, and Jerry ends up pulling out of his butt that it's at Columbus and 85th. Jimmy Sherman is working on it. And Kramer says, oh, that's a friend of mine. Yeah, that he'll, he'll, he's going to make a phone call, take care of it. He'll have it tomorrow. Yeah, Kramer's really a watch blocking him here. Yes, the definite watch block happening. Uh, according to the notes about nothing, there is no watch shop on 85th and Columbus. Yeah, I'm not surprised. But I am impressed that Jerry came up with that and, and a real person on, uh, you know, on the fly. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy that he not only came up with, in the fiction of the show, a real place and a real person, because that's who Uncle Leo took the watch to. It's just sort of wacky that he's able to, off the top of his head, he must know the guy. Yeah, he must. Maybe Jimmy Sherman fixes everything, like maybe fixes refrigerators and all sorts of things. Yeah. Okay, so Kramer leaves. Jerry follows him out of the apartment and basically says like, hey, drop it with the watch. I threw it out. It was keeping bad time. Uh, Yeah, they have a longer version of this in the deleted scene, but it wasn't really worthwhile. Yeah, and Jerry comes back and tells his parents. They say, what was that about? Oh, he had my calamine lotion. Uh, I told him if he needs it, he should hold on to it. And Helen Seinfeld is like, oh, that's my boy. What a nice, what a nice young man. I mean, Jerry can do no wrong. Yeah. So next, we're going to see Morty Seinfeld at the doctor. And Morty is very cranky from the moment he goes to the doctor. He doesn't want to fill out this form. Yeah, I've been there. That, that, by the way, that's how I met my wife. What? You, she gave you a form to fill out and you told you didn't want to fill it out? No, we, we worked together in a camp in a, in a you know, a, 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 we were counselors in a summer camp for special needs kids. And I had part like I've, I had like a work study thing through my college. Uh, that uh, that uh, similar to before, they they gave you like money off college, I think if you because the camp was kind of connected to the college or something, and but not to Bernie um, Madoff, right? Well, Bernie right, Bernie Madoff was footing the bill, uh, and and uh, they you had to sign like sixty times per day for some reason, mm. uh, and it was like sixty days, so it was like you know thirty six hundred uh, signatures. So I'm like, I'd ra- it was only a thousand dollars, like. If you said like uh, Akiva, if you sit here all day and sign something 3,600 times, I'll give you a thousand dollars. I'd be like, no, thanks. So I didn't want to do it. But my wife doesn't have the same, you know, sort of uh, ideas about money that I do. Yes. So she was like, no, 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 you're not not getting. And I didn't really know her. We were yeah. kind of just like sitting there. Our, our, our like campers were kind of hang out together. Yeah. And so she ended up signing my thing for me, forging my signature uh, 3,600 times. Wow. And that's really kind of how we met. Um, does Mrs. Akiva find your laziness as endearing today? I would say she never really did, but, uh, now like, uh, it's a miracle. She still has, uh, you know, uh, black hair. <laughs> okay. All right. I could call her in and I could ask her, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, we'll save that for another day. That may be the off season. You're gonna have to bleep a few things <laughs> if you call her in. <laughs> okay. Anyway. And Morty ends up telling Helen that the reason why his back got screwed up was from when he slept on that sofa bed uh, going back to the events from the pen. So the whole uh, trip, the last trip out there uh, was part of the reason why they ended up with Morty going to the back doctor. So I guess that's why they wanted to make it tie back into the stuff from the pen that he slept on the sofa bed. And then he ended up needing to come back to New York to go to the back specialist. Yeah, so I, in hindsight, yeah, it was actually pretty smart, and it's a good callback. Yeah, 
All right. So here comes Jerry and George. They're at Jerry's apartment. George is telling Jerry about how he passed on the deal from NBC. How does it like they they wanted to do this deal with Jerry? George was not even in the equation a week ago. How is he suddenly making the final business decision for Jerry? It's kind of crazy. Yes. And Jerry's like, you passed? And he can't believe it. And George is very much. Um, I do like it when George gets like all smug and cocky because he's like, uh, Jerry, you're so naive. And he says, uh, you know about a few things. You know comedy. You know uh, a little bit about baseball. You know a little bit about dating. But this you don't know about. And you're so far out of your element, it's embarrassing. I'm negotiating. Yeah, this was this was great, George. And I also like, you know, one of the, you know, they've been friends forever. And I think that, like, if you have any friends from when you were 11 years old, when you get together, like even now, you're, a lot of times you'll still kind of have the, devolve into the same fights as you had when you were 11, which is basically what happens between Jerry and George here. Yeah. And Jerry is trying to say, let me explain to you how this works. They get hundreds of pitches for pilots. They go with five. If they don't want ours, they go and do the next one. And George's like, ooh, I'm scared. They're not going to make the show. <laughs> yeah. Jerry uh, is, you know, we have a show about nothing with no story. Do you think they're sitting there saying, hey, those two guys with no idea uh, and no story, let's give them more money. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, probably not the best business strategy. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and Jerry tells George that he's an idiot. Um, cut back to Morty in the doctor's office. He's like a caged animal waiting for the doctor to come in. I mean, I, I, I could get this impatient too, but again, uh, you know, maybe this is something that doesn't happen now because you're just on your phone. You don't even notice the time is passing. Well, I mean, when you go to the doctor's office, there's all these signs like no cell phones allowed, no cell phones allowed. So obviously the thing is, you know, anytime I want time to, if time is not going fast enough, you know, I go right to the phone because I feel like that's like my personal time machine where that's like the uh, remote control in that Adam Sandler movie where I can make time go faster if I'm on my phone. Is that do you feel that way? Yeah. But what kind of doctor's office doesn't allow phones? I don't know what you're talking I feel about. Like they have like signs up like because and then I feel like when the doctor comes in and depending on what you're in there for, sometimes you're in like, you know, you're in like your, you know, your underwear and like you have like a, a paper gown on. You don't have a pocket to put the phone in when it comes. Um, and so you just sort of like, uh, like it's like when the doctor walks in and you have the phone, it's like, ah, it's like awkward when you have the phone in your hand, you got to hold it with your mouth. Is that what you have to do? That's what, uh, that's what Morty says. <laughs> I think they mean that you're not supposed to be on the phone. I think that's what they want probably. Okay. But that's not a problem with like, I'm never on the phone. I don't know about you. So. Yeah, no, I'm not on the phone. All right. So anyway, they're waiting for the doctor to come in and finally the nurse comes in. She wants to take the blood pressure with the blood pressure band and it's there's Velcro. Morty hates Velcro. Uh, yeah, that's why there's no Velcro in any of his raincoats. Okay. Do you like Velcro? I have no opinion on Velcro. I like Velcro. I'm fine. I mean, I'm fine. I'm not like, uh, I wouldn't marry it, but I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, I especially like Velcro for my son's shoes and I get annoyed that my wife gets him shoes that have laces. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you know when he gets laces? When he can tie them. Right, right. And there's always untied. Um, you know, I, that's, we should only be dressing anybody under the age of, you know, 15. It's just, it should be just for function, not for fashion. We don't, I don't care how cute those sneakers are. Just go with the Velcro. Even now I only, other than sneakers, which I rarely wear because what, you know, what am I doing? Uh, I, I don't have any shoes with laces. Yeah. So what do you wear like around the house? Like on a normal day? Crocs. Crocs? Yeah. Oh, my God. But the problem is then I'll have to, like, go outside or something. And, like, I'll be outside in, like, my pajamas, which I basically wear all day at work. Yeah. And my Crocs and, like, white socks. And I look ridiculous. Uh, you know, and this happens enough that, like, but am I really for the once a day my wife calls me to come outside and, like, take in the groceries or something? Kill am I really going to get dressed up, you know, just in case that happens? Right. Because you're like me. You also work from home. Um, I tend to wear, I wear sneakers in the house. Yeah, I'm also a no shoes person. Like I grew up in a house where you didn't really wear shoes in the house. Mm, no, I'm going to so, have socks on and, and, and usually shoes. Oh, I always have socks on. Yes. Oh, wait, you so you have socks and Crocs? Yes, that's why I look ridiculous. Yeah. And how high are the socks? 
I wear, I, I don't wear the small socks. I wear the bigger, like the, the full length socks. So your look is uh, tube socks and Crocs? That is my look, Rob. Okay, and and what kind of pants? You have a short short pants or or like or long pants or shorts? Uh, in in the summer I wear shorts, and in the winter I wear like sweatpants or pajama pants. So in the summer you're going shorts, tube socks, and Crocs. Yeah, but even like today it was nice outside, and I went outside and I saw like fifty people I knew, and it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but like they already know. Like if you know at this point, if you know me, like. It's not, you have very few expectations. Yes. So I'm not really worried. Okay. All right. So then um, Morty gets taken away to go and do his x-ray and he leaves his stuff there. And Morty is like the least trusting person in the world. So it's, you know, it would have been, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been like him. You know, one of the good things I wear a yarmulke outside. People know what a yarmulke is. I don't even know. I think that most people know what a yarmulke is. Right. Um, so if not, you could Google it anyway. So like, and this is kind of a joke here, but I, I was thinking like I could just wear, put my wallet under my yarmulke. Yes. <laughs> but no, you can't actually you do can't, that. You can't but, do that. No, but I, but I think, um, I, you know, he's not the type to leave his wallet in another room. And neither would I, by the way. This is a doctor's office who knows who's coming in that room next. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that we're going to find out down the road that the wallet is actually in Jerry's sofa. Yes. So are you buying that Morty Seinfeld would get to the doctor's office without the wallet and not realize he didn't have the wallet. Every 10 steps I take when I'm walking outside, I do like a, like in my mind, I don't even realize I'm doing it. I do a wallet phone keys check. Yes. So there's no way that Morty Seinfeld is, is getting all the way. I mean, he's on vacation. So it's a little different. Maybe he doesn't have his keys. You know, he doesn't have a cell phone because it's 1992. You would think, did he take, a taxi to go to the doctor? I mean, how did he get right. to the doctor's office? I could see him walk? walking. He could probably walk a long distance to save the $5. Yes. Yeah. And Morty Seinfeld, of all people, isn't constantly doing a wallet check? Yeah, well, that's why. I agree with you. Considering that question. he does a wallet check, the first thing he does when he comes back from the x-ray room? That's right. So I feel a little implausible. Maybe our problem is they didn't really properly solve the wallet issue at this point. And then when they decide... In an episode that hasn't been written at this point, in the right, because it's not till he doesn't right. find it till the the finale of this season, he finds it in the couch. I think uh, maybe just the answer is the issue, not what Morty did. Okay, so here we don't have a problem with it, but the solve is a problem. Yes. All right. So let's go back to Jerry's apartment. George has the box of Cuban cigars. Jerry doesn't want them, but Kramer uh, he doesn't even know what they're talking about. I want them, uh, and of course, Kramer, Kramer with Cuban cigars, uh, he's gonna love that. Uh, yeah, not the last time we see Kramer with Cubans. And I, you know, I do like that he's just taking stuff sight unseen. He's, he would be like a dumpster diver in you know, 2015. Yeah, uh, people love free stuff. Uh, that's what I hear. Yes, um, this, is, <laughs> this is very true. I know that like, when I had to move, um, like, uh, not this, la- this last time, but the time before that, like, I had stuff in my apartment and I was like, trying to like, sell it on Craigslist. And you could have something on in your house and you can put it like on Craigslist um, for like one dollar, and nobody will come. And nobody, but if you say it's free, you'll get like five hundred emails. Yeah, it's uh, Adam Carolla's podcast used to do a uh, segment where they would call up the people, like you know, I'm selling you know five hundred old like uh, urine cups for like fifty cents. You know, people who weren't giving stuff away, but were selling absurd things for like ridiculously cheap, and they're you know risking their lives by posting it on Craigslist, basically for no money and he would call them up and like discuss how, why their life has gone so poorly that like this is what they're doing it was always great radio yeah it, it, for me it was just like stuff that I didn't want to just throw out I just wanted somebody to come and take it away from me like like my old barbecue like I just like I don't know what to do with this like uh, I don't want to like throw like an old bicycle things like that yeah people will always come and take your stuff or you could just kind of leave it depending on your house situation if you could like leave it on the front like in front of the front lawn. Well, this was in an apartment. Right. So you can't do it there. Right. But, uh, you know, people will always take it away uh, in like 10 seconds. When I was when I was moving out of New York, I posted something like a couch that I couldn't sell. And like I just ran out of time and I had to get rid of it. And I got like 500. And it was a couch, I guess, that, you know, would have cost something. I just didn't have the time to sell it. Yeah. Uh, it was like I got like 500 offers and like literally like somebody I knew without knowing it was me because it's Craigslist and it's anonymous. Like. Email me. I'm like, all right, I'll just give it to him because I know he's not going to come and murder me. Yeah. 
That's big. But even worse, because he was a stranger, he asked me to carry the couch down six flights of stairs in the city with him. Oh, it didn't fit in the It didn't fit in the elevator. Yeah. I should have gotten a stranger and gone 50 50 if I was going to get killed or not. <laughs> it was worth it. Not bring. And then I had to bring it to his apartment two blocks away. I oh carried the couch all over Manhattan. You would have been better off getting killed. Yeah, I think, uh, I th- you know, that's why I moved down to New York. Like if you don't have any friends, you know, then nobody asks you for favors. That's right. That's right. Is that your philosophy also? Well, Akiva, just <laughs> recently I had, you know, a, a flat screen uh, TV that I needed to move. And because I don't have any friends that I just had to like uh, find somebody that I had to pay to come over my house and help me move this. Like if I, if I just even had one friend, I could have saved the money. But because I don't, I had to pay somebody to come over and help me. Right. I guess. So, okay. So, you know, you should make one friend, I think. Yes. Yes. Because sometimes you might have something heavy in your house that you're like, oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> I don't know anybody that can help me move this thing. Like I, really, right, but, I had to move something up a flight of stairs. And I'm like, oh, I'm so screwed. Right. And also in LA, you can't just like ask somebody on the street. Like there's, if you're like in the South or something, you could just like, hey neighbor, you want to come in and uh, help me move this. But I feel like in LA it would be weird. Yeah. I guess it's a little weird. All right. So anyway, the door rings and uh, the buzzer rings and uh, Federal Express. FedEx. Uh, I feel like in 1992, the FedEx person is met with a lot more scrutiny than they are in 2015. Yeah, especially in Manhattan when like people are getting murdered all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> Kramer says that you just let a burglar in the building. Uh, and then uh, worse, you just let a murderer in the building. Yeah, he could be a murderer. Yes. And it's the oldest trick in the book. And so there's a knock at the door. Kramer like rolls up a magazine. Uh, that's what he's going to use to fend off the burglar. And they open the door and it's Elaine. Uh, yeah, the, we have not, you know, Elaine's scenes, I think we said were filmed probably right before she went on vacation. Yeah. This is really the first time she looks much different, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Mm, what, what do you notice? I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but she just looks different. What, do you, what did you notice? I didn't notice anything about her looking different. Oh, I mean, she just looks like refreshed, maybe. Refreshed after having a baby. Yeah, but, you know, she had had some time off. You know, she had the baby probably right after the season. So, like, now she's got her... You know, this is like post-maternity leave already. Okay. All right. So here's Elaine and big explosion uh, for Elaine. I felt like this seems out of place, that they're so excited to see Elaine. I mean, in the fiction of the show, how long has Elaine been gone for? I know she went to Europe. It, right. How long could the European vacation go have to taken? Europe for a month? The question is, like, the, the season ended in May. Could it have really been... September, uh, May to September. Like, is it possible it was three or four months? I haven't seen Elaine since the, you know, circumstances from the Keys. Correct. I, I, that's possible just because maybe I feel she like, was mad at them after the Murphy Brown thing. Maybe. I mean, in the, tri- in the like in the trip, it was clearly already August. So, I mean, but maybe she didn't she didn't go away in May. So maybe she didn't really. I don't know. Yeah. It's. I'm not sure. It's this a good seems question. a little meta to me. It seems like they were more excited that the actress was back more so than I think that Jerry and George would be happy that Elaine is back. Like, I feel like if there was somebody that was like, if you didn't see your wife in three months uh, and then she came back, would you act how Jerry and George act when Elaine comes back in? No. And I haven't seen my kids, you know, for like a month and I, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like for a show that's about no hugs, no emotional growth. Like no these learning. people are exceedingly happy to see Elaine at this moment. Uh, I agree. But I also think the eruption from the audience may have precipitated like, hey, we're not going to be able to speak for the next 20 seconds. So we may as well dance around and, and play it. Maybe it wasn't even in the script. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if Elaine just walked in normally and it wasn't a surprise, I feel like the audience would have not had a crazy reaction. Right, and maybe they were coached up because the audience hasn't necessarily seen all the episodes. Maybe they saw the trip just because it, it uh, aired you know, over a month before this, but they haven't seen uh, you know, the, the third and the fourth episodes yet, so I'm not so sure that they weren't coached, like mm-hmm. there wasn't some kind of applause thing. Yeah, so they all had to make a big fuss that Elaine is back. I mean, really, in watching these episodes, I have to say, and you know, I'm a huge fan of Elaine and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. I didn't miss her in those episodes that she's not in. And I actually felt that that scene that she's in in those two episodes was seemed very tacked on. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, you, you can't. She's already been gone. So you can't just throw her 
uh, out completely. And, it, you know, it pays off a little bit more in in the next episode in the watch. Yeah. OK. All right. So we find out with <laughs> Elaine that, uh, you know, Jerry's parents are in town to see the back specialist. Elaine quickly says it's probably because of that sofa. Yeah, it's, I do like uh, I like the callbacks here. Yeah. OK. And so here's Dr. Reston. How's the relationship with Dr. Reston? And Elaine uh, gives like, oh, it's fine. And she touches her face. Uh, yeah. R- Rob, how are things with Nicole? Oh, I think that they are fine, but I'm not touching my face. Why? Why are you scratching uh, the top of your head? No, no, no. Face, <laughs> no facial tick. Everything's yeah. Every everything is fine. We're not getting divorced. OK, that's good. Yeah. Is that is that the standard? Like you're either getting to, is this an all or nothing thing also? Yes. Yeah, so we're either getting like, divorced or we're not getting divorced. Yes. Much like Akiva and his research. It's all or, <laughs> it's all or nothing. You're either staying together or you're getting divorced. Okay, this is the bottom. You're in the bottom line business. You're yes, we are. We're sticking it out. Okay, we're hanging in there, and so uh, we find out that Elaine touched her face, and uh, she finds out that this is a thing. How high did Elaine go? George jumps in, uh, almost to the nose. It's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, do you buy this? Is this a thing? Um, I, I buy the idea of tells. Right. I think that became as poker became more popular. Certainly, the idea of tells. Uh, is was much more in vogue, but I, I don't know. I, I never heard it, but maybe it's something that Jerry noticed himself, and he's you know he's basing a bit off that. Also, I think that how high your the pitch of your voice goes when you say good or fine. Oh, good. I think that's big. Also, Doc, yeah, Doctor Reston. Uh, he's Doctor Reston. <laughs> All right. So George is eating Jerry's peanut butter with his fingers, uh, and Jerry shuts this down right away. I mean, you know, these are people who are upset about double dipping a chip. This is a thousand times worse. Well, to be fair, George is the double dipper. Nobody here is upset about double dipping the chip, right? Right. But he should have lost his mind, Jerry, about the about the about the peanut butter. I mean, Jerry's a clean guy. Is he going to go make himself a PB&J sandwich tomorrow with George's hands? I didn't see George wash his hands the whole time he's been sitting there. Well, I mean, he also has Kramer drinking out of the milk carton. Yeah, so maybe like he's not a germy or maybe like Jerry's an evil genius and he's got like separate food, you know, Jerry food. And he's got like the mooching food for when everyone comes that he puts out. Um, The reason why George is eating the peanut butter with his fingers is because he's off bread. So is George doing like paleo here in 1992? I don't know if they had paleo, but maybe like an original form of Atkins. Yeah. And technically, I don't think that peanut butter is allowed on either of those. Yeah. Well, listen, there's a reason George is not the best dieter. (laughs) All right. So Elaine is trying to break up with her psychiatrist doctor, but he won't let her leave. He manipulates every word she says. He's like a Svenjali. He's a Svenjali. Who would who would have known that dating your psychiatrist is a bad idea? Yeah, Uh, this is sort of a memorable moment. The Svengali versus Svenjali, right? Yeah, especially like because Elaine, if, if, if Kramer said it, you wouldn't blink. But Elaine is, you know, like a literary person who works in the publishing world. Like she should know this word. Yes. And so that she's saying, I didn't say uh, Zvenjali. I said Zvengali. And then they ask George, he doesn't even put down the newspapers like Zvenjali. Yeah. I mean, you know, when somebody says Zvenjali. Yeah. Okay. So Kramer's looking for a match to light his cigar. He ends up lighting it on the stove. And we have another sort of classic moment. Uh, Maybe the most iconic thing to come out of this episode. I feel like Uh, Kramer sets his hair on fire, trying to light the cigar. Yeah, it's really funny. It's a little bit too slapsticky and over the top. Yeah. But uh, it's Kramer, so you give him a pass. Okay. Um, Elaine needs something to tell the Dr. Reston about why she's breaking up with him. Um, and who is it, George, that suggests an old boyfriend came back? Yeah, old boyfriend. She said, no, that's stupid. He's not going to fall for that. Uh, he might fall for it. <laughs> he might. All right. So we go back to Morty, and he comes back after the x-ray, and uh, his wallet is gone. Uh, yeah, and uh, some say it was never there. Some say it was never there. All right, so here comes the doctor now, and uh, he has the x-ray results, but Morty could not care less. He's more concerned about the wallet. He almost thinks that the doctor stole it. Yeah, like this is like some big scam the doctor is doing. He gets people to come to his office. He gets them in the x-ray machine, and then while he's doing the x-ray, then they come in and lift your wallet. So it's all a big scam for, you know, the $200 in cash you have on your wallet. They're pulling that scam off four or five times a day. Boom. 
Yeah, first of all, it was 225. Morty knows to the penny. Yes, yes. Sec- second of all, I think the plan, it's a brilliant idea. You know, what you have to do is take the money out and only most of it, because if they're paying in cash, you have to leave them some money. And not everyone is a Morty who knows how much money was in their wallet. Take some money out. Why would you want to incriminate yourself by having the person's credit cards and ID and everything? Hmm, that's a good point. I was going to say the opposite. I think that maybe the better plan is go in there, get them in the x-ray, go in, write down their credit card numbers, uh, leave the wallet alone. They'll never know anything happened. And then you could steal their identity. Right. Or sell those on the black market. And we know there's a, you know, the very, uh, there's a thriving black market in 1992 Manhattan, according <laughs> to Kramer. You start it. You could start it. That's right. I think, I think, uh, you know, that's real. You're really taking it up a level for my idea, Rob. Yeah. But the risks are much higher with your idea. Mm, okay. So you're saying you go in there, leave Morty with like 30 bucks. Uh, he's like, what the hell? Did I drop it? What happened? Yeah. If somebody has 220, leave him with 120. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So here's Elaine with Dr. Reston. I liked how they uh, opened this shot where you sort of don't see him, but then we end up seeing his face. It's almost like he wasn't there yet. Like they're waiting for the actors. So they started it like that with a stunt double's arm. Yeah. And he's kind of creepy, Dr. Reston. I think that's the point, right? Like he's a psychiatrist who manipulates people and sleeps with his patient. Like Mm. they weren't looking for like a George Clooney type here. Yeah, I guess so. That's probably, this is a bad dude. Yeah. Is he the worst guy we've met? Probably not. Who's worse, uh, him or Michael Chiklis? All right. So, so Chiklis, uh, you know, went to a guy's house, slept with a prostitute in his house when he wasn't there and didn't pay the prostitute. Right. Uh, this guy just went on a long vacation and is having relationship problems, even though, you know, he, he didn't leave his uh, crazy patient with meds. I think ultimately, sometimes you can give a guy a pass when he's like in love, which Weston is. I would argue that this guy is worse because what uh, Chiklis did was went into somebody's house, ordered a prostitute, uh, did not pay the prostitute and left Jerry with the bill. Um, Dr. Reston here is having sex with someone who may not be mentally stable. So you could argue many different things about Dr. Reston where, you know, uh, Mr. Chiklis maybe, you know, stole a <laughs> steal in a sexual act uh, worth roughly $50. Um, this, you could say, if, you know, this person is truly not of sound mind that he is treating and he is having a sexual affair with her. I feel like that's worse. Right. It's a definitely it's definitely a HIPAA violation at the very least. Yes. Yes. So I think that this guy might be worse. Are you even okay, allowed listen, to date your patient of your psychiatrist? I would say without knowing, I would say no way. Yeah. Like, can I, the question is, would you get disbarred for it? Hmm. Yes. That's interesting. You think you would? Mm, I'm not sure. I feel like in the movie Clue, which I'm sure you did not see. No, nope. um, I believe I played the game, though. Yeah, I believe they uh, that that's one of the things that they, you know, uh, say to Professor Plum to uh, bust his balls that like uh, like, oh, that they're blackmailing him, that he was a psychiatrist that slept with his patients. Can a regular doctor uh, sleep with their patient? I mean, if you're a physician, like yeah. if you're the back doctor, could you treat somebody? Uh, I mean, that's what happened to Jack on Lost that he married right. the person that he's that he did back surgery on. I think you can't operate on somebody who if they're in your family, but I think you could date your regular doctor. Yeah, you're probably right. But a psychiatrist is like another level up. Yeah, because you're I mean, fundamentally, I mean, you're dealing with somebody who has some sort of uh, issue that they're going to see the psychiatrist in the first place. Uh, right. So you're saying, is there a different rule for a psychologist versus a psychiatrist? Oh, that's a whole different can of worms. Yeah, I think I, I think this week I'm gonna have to speak to I have a friend who's a psychologist and a friend who's a psychiatrist. And I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get the you know, are they allowed? I mean, their wives probably would not let them, but are they allowed to date their patients? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK. I mean, I feel like it's probably um, I just did a quick search about it. So this psychiatrist was found guilty of having sex with a patient. Uh, that's from a, a news article. But here's another article. Should it be a crime for a therapist to have sex with a patient? I don't know if there is a distinction. I'm sure we'll get some email about this. Yeah, I do think that more because a psychiatrist it has to go to medical school. So I think they're more like uh, 
they can kind of be deunionized a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. Mm, okay. Whereas the psychologist, maybe their their rules are they're kind of self governing. Okay. All right. So anyway, they talk about how something happened sexually with the with this new guy that Elaine is seeing, and uh, Doctor Reston takes it all very well. Yeah, he should be freaking out. I mean, they just went to Europe together, maybe for four months. Mm-hmm. So the phone rings, and Doctor Reston answers the phone. And uh, who is he talking to? Bobo. <laughs> yeah, he says, uh, all right, Bobo. Is Bobo one of the other patients? Maybe he's sleeping with Bobo. I don't know. And he comes back. Uh, so where were we? Uh, and Elaine was talking about how she's trying to break up with him. And he says, Elaine, do you remember your dream where you had a sexual encounter with a Chinese woman? Yeah. Do you think that was Donna Chang, the, uh, the Asian American lady who gives Jerry's mom advice? Oh, later on? probably. Probably. Um, and so, um, you know, he, he's concerned about Elaine and she says, there's no reason for concern. And he wants to know, Elaine, have you been urinating a lot again? Yeah. He's really a doctor here, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, what I think is so funny about this scene, it's not like he's just like throwing random things out there. Like he's definitely bringing up things that Elaine has mentioned before in therapy. Like, you know, he's really like using her own confessions of things that she's talked about in in her sessions up to her. Yeah, I, I, he's an evil genius. I, I'm, I'm sort of turning around to your side that he's worse than Chicklets. Yeah. And so he ends up asking, so how often have you been seeing, what was his name? And Elaine says, uh, his name, I don't even know his name is, and she's searching, it's Kramer. Now, um, it seems uh, outlandish that Elaine can't even come up with what the guy's name is. Yeah. When she pulled out of her butt who was the name of the matador? Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name now. Do you know it? Caruccio, uh, right? Oh, yeah. Eduardo Caruccio. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, she pulled that name up, but she can't come up with anybody for uh, the shrink. Maybe she just gets paralyzed with fear when she's around him. And uh, Dr. Reston was, is that a first name or a last name? Uh, it's a good question. They, they barely know that at this point. Yeah. And so he says, uh, tell him to give me a call. She's like, oh, no, no, no. We can't do that. Uh, and he says, uh, you can and you will. She's like, okay, I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> so he really does have a hold over her. Oh yeah, he's got he's got he really has her by the uh the hair. Yes. All right. And so here comes Uncle Leo. And we go to dinner with Morty, Helen, Jerry, and Uncle Leo. And Uncle Leo is very upset about how Morty walked out of the doctor's office because this doctor's appointment came from Uncle Leo's son were lives on the same floor as this guy. I think yeah, his uh, the Doctor Denborough's son and uh, and Uncle Leo live on the same floor, uh, right? So Leo played it off like he's his best friend, but really he just uh, maybe ran into a neighbor in the hall. Yes, and Uncle Leo says you he did me a personal favor. Uh, yeah, I mean he doesn't know him personally, but I guess the son did him a personal favor, right? Yes. Okay, and so uh, you know Leo wants Morty to write a check to the doctor. I do love the relate. It's actually very realistic. I don't know if. Your wife has any brothers, mm -hmm. but I, I like this relationship that, um, you know, that that he's like in a kind of like a pissing contest with with Uncle Leo constantly. Like he clearly hates him. Uh, Helen doesn't sort of doesn't really side with either one. She's kind of neutral in the middle, but they hate each other. Yeah. All right. So Uncle Leo ends up with his showing his watch to everybody. And Helen says, hey, that's like the watch that we got Jerry. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a lot of these watches, right? It's a $60 watch we learn in the next episode. So I don't know why Jerry just doesn't buy a new watch. Yeah, well, that would be good if you could just get the replacement watch. Like if the cat dies, you can just get a new cat. And so Jerry ends up trying to change the subject, but uh, it turns out that Uncle Leo found it in the garbage. He took it to Jimmy Sherman. Now it works great. Who would throw out a watch like this? Only an idiot. Only an idiot. And uh, then we get to when it is uh, to be continued. Yeah, he says, can we continue this another time? So they really, you know, they did it on the nose a little bit. Yes. And we end up going to the stand up where uh, Jerry is talking about, don't you hate it? Where they say to be continued on TV. It gets very meta. Yeah, this is very meta, but I actually really like the stand up. I, first of all, I also like, I don't, I do like the stand up, but I don't like the stand up in the middle. If you notice this episode flowed very nicely was not broken up by a, a stand-up in the middle. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, to be continued, I don't know your... I do I do think that nowadays you usually know beforehand if a show is going to be to be continued, right? Mm -hmm. 
I feel like but, it's much less that it happens on a, like a half hour show that it's to be continued. Yeah, I think Friends used to do it sometimes, right? Like shows like that, but like over a season finale, I feel like they would do that. That's true. Uh, yeah, Seinfeld did a, a lot when it wasn't a season finale, mm-hmm. uh, right? They, I mean, the last they they did a season premiere, they did be continued, and uh, this this one is uh, two parter, but it's not. To be continued, I do think I like what he's saying that like you look at the clock and it's eight fifty five and you know the mystery is not going to be solved. I'll tell you what I do. You'll uh, tell me tell me if this is interesting. So uh, with the show Survivor, I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes, I don't watch it live. I watch it the next morning. And when uh, sometimes they'll go to tribal council at eight forty eight, and sometimes they'll go at eight fifty four, eight fifty two, and sometimes they'll go at like eight forty five if it's like a great episode, right? Right. But I don't like to know because sometimes it could be like, oh, it's like really late. Nothing interesting is happening. They're not splitting the votes and, you know, doing extra votes because it takes too long. They don't have the time left. So when I watch, I never check the, the time. So for all I know, it could still be 830. Yes. You know, so I, I and not just with Survivor, I do that with other shows. Like I like to not know when the show's about to end. Yeah. And so I hear what you're saying that, you know, there could be a crazy tribal council. It, it would be almost like if you were watching like a baseball game. And the baseball game, like you knew exactly, okay, this game is going to be like, you knew the runtime before. And it's like, the game is three hours and three minutes. And you're like three hours into it. And it's the bottom of the ninth. And you know, your team's down by four. And it's like, well, I guess we're not coming back in this one. You know? Yeah. I have, I have an NFL app also. It's the same thing. If you look at the time, you know, when the game's going to end. So I don't, you just don't touch the screen until the game's over. Yes. One last thing about this uh, Jerry stand-up that the one line that always stuck with me about this is that he talks about how, you know, he wants them to wrap up the show in 30 minutes. And he says, if I wanted a long, boring story with no point to it, I have my life. Uh, yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite punchlines. That's yeah, a good joke. Okay. Let's talk about uh, the watch in the rear view mirror. It was just, this is the wallet. I'm sorry. The watch is next. Yeah, it's confusing. Okay. All right. So we will come back in part two next week and talk about uh, the second half of this. So, Akiva, uh, first off, we talked about a couple things in 2015. Anything else that would make this episode unable to be happening in modern times? That's a good question. Uh, Do you have anything? If Jerry had the Apple Watch, he would never throw it in the garbage. Right. I guess the watch itself maybe could be different. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. Is there like, there's no app that helps you keep track of your wallet. That would be nice. Mm, Well, no, well, Jerry... Morty would have Apple Pay on his phone. I don't think Morty would have it. I think Jerry might have. It. I mean, do, like, do you know any, you know, 65 year old man who have? I mean, some do, I guess. But yes, no, I think that um, probably everything else uh, still holds up. Yeah, it holds up fine. This episode. OK. All right. So where do you rank this episode? Uh, I like this episode. Uh, the thing is, on its own as a standalone episode, um, you know, because everything is solved next week. There's no real revelations there's nothing classic really other than maybe kramer's hair on fire that's uh you know like a legendary moment that you'd mention so i have it in the middle i have it at 93 yeah 93 okay i can't argue with that it feels like a very middling episode of the show yeah but it's also not a there's nothing bad it wasn't boring at all no it's fun okay let's go into uh taking some emails from uh our listeners uh here's one from uh travis almendinger of course these emails come to us every week at Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Travis says, Hey guys, so many times on Seinfeld, the humor from the supporting characters is based on a quirk or some outlandish behavior. Jerry's mom plays against this trend. The humor of Helen Seinfeld comes from the fact that she's such an ordinary mom that she really stands out. In this episode, some of the funniest stuff comes from Helen finding out about crazy Joe Davola and having such a mom reaction to the situation. How could anyone not like you? And offering, uh, and Morty offers to make a few phone calls to straighten things out. The series probably gives Helen the least to do of all the parents, but the character knocks it out of the park every time. What are your thoughts of Helen in the wallet and more broadly in the series, Akiva? Yeah, I think this is a very good question by Travis. I think if you look at the four main parents, right, the Costanzas and the Seinfelds, uh, George's parents are both nuts. They're pretty similar in the way that they're nuts. Uh, you know, Mr. Costanza is a little more over the top, but, you know, Estelle is, is, uh, is nutty herself. I think... Jerry's dad has, he's a little bit more of a one note character, maybe than the Costanzas, right? That he's cheap and he's kind of very stubborn. Uh, you know, and most of the things he's dealing with are money related. 
you know, like in the Cadillac. I think uh, there's not if if you if you would ask someone like explain, you know, who Estelle, uh, who uh, Mrs. Helen Helen Seinfeld, excuse me, is. I think you know there's she she doesn't really have like a, a, a over the top characteristic. So she's more like we we discussed last week, like who are the heroes and who are the villains of the show. I guess uh, we would we'd have to put uh, Helen, uh, excuse me, as, uh, yeah, Helen as a Helen as a hero. Like there's, she's really pretty vanilla, but it is true she's you know she's like a decent person at least. She would be on the heroes tribe. She's on the heroes tribe. I think uh, you know she wouldn't have a lot of company. Okay, all right. Uh, let's just take, uh, one more question. This is from, uh, Chester who says, uh, what was the point of Morty's pants soliloquy to indicate he's an insane old man? Morty Seinfeld's performance in this episode, uh, alone could vault him into the best old man in TV history. He really is shot out of a cannon this entire episode. Yeah. He's so much better here than, uh, he's kind of just in the background a little bit in the pen. Yes. Okay. Uh, Chester also wants to know. What's the most outdated part of this episode? The expression that a watch doesn't keep good time or a full tank of gas costs eighteen fifty. Oh, I didn't even catch how much it cost. I, I, I missed that. Um, what, about, what about the fact that George is mimicking Jerry? Like that's something that my like, nine-year-old thinks it's not cool to do anymore. Yeah. And that George falls for the uh, George is an idiot. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, then, yeah. Like, right, right. My, my six-year-old wouldn't fall for that. That gets a big laugh from the audience. I, I wonder, it was a much simpler time, Rob. Yeah, it's like, that wasn't that funny. Okay. No, it wasn't. Unless it was like so funny that it was, that it was stupid. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, and last question from Chester. Uh, why is Elaine seeing a psychiatrist anyway? Uh, not just a psychologist. Does she need a whole team working on her like the elephant man? Yeah, that's right. She's got to go to Austria and have a team work on her. I, I, it's a good question. I think maybe she just kind of met him and was attracted to him and like used it as an excuse to start seeing him. Wow. Look at you, uh, Dr. Reston. There you go. I bet he's got five patients that are just like Elaine. Probably. Uh, Although maybe he'd, he'd never be at work then if he's taking them all on four-month vacations. Yes. All right. Akiva, great job on the wallet recap. Of course, uh, the watch is next week, and uh, we will get into that. And then, uh, boom, we're already so far into season four. Yeah, you don't even want to know what's after the watch. What's after the watch? The bubble boy. Bubble boy. Love the bubble boy. Yeah, so we're really we're really heating up. We're really heating up. Things are really happening, and uh, we're so Svenjali to have gotten to this point so far. Yeah, we are Svenjali. Okay. Um, what do you think of a hashtag here? Uh, Johnny D. Silvera had had pitched us on Svenjali as the hashtag. Um, yeah. Uh, I am a little partial to uh, socks and Crocs. Oh, that's good. Yes. Uh, what's your pick? I, you know, I had something during the episode I said that was funny. Like, I don't know if I, what I said was funny, but I wrote it down that it would be a good hashtag. I, I, I can't find it. I don't remember what it was. So I, I like socks and Crocs. Okay, let's go with socks and Crocs uh, in honor of Akiva's uh, dress. Yeah, I think Crocs are C-R-O-C-S. Yes, there's no K in No Ks in Crocs. All right, Akiva, we'll be back uh, next week. Looking forward to he hearing what you guys have to say in the comments on postshowrecaps.com. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.